Let's go ahead and read from our scripture reading this morning from the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, and it's on the board. I would invite you to read aloud with me as we read verses 1 through 3 this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 2, I think it said chapter 1. It's verse 1 through 3 this morning. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the wonderful grace. And as we have sung, Lord, we do glory in you. You are our only glory. You are our only praise and our only satisfaction. You are our only salvation, our only sanctification, our only holiness, our only righteousness. And Lord, whatever righteousness we think we have is nothing but filthy rags before you. Lord, we come to you as nothing but weak and helpless, having nothing to offer. And yet you come to us giving us everything, the best of heaven, the best of you, and taking the worst of us in return. And Father, for that, we can only raise our hands and praise you for your incredible might, your incredible worth, your incredible glory. And Father, I pray this morning the worship of our hearts has reached to yours And that with all of our hearts, we have sang this wonderful glory that you are so worthy of, so much more worthy of anything, more so than we could ever give you. And so, Father, we offer you our lives. We offer you everything that we have. So then, in return, we can gain all that you are. Lord, we we are so thankful. And I pray as we are focusing on this this section of our year as we are focusing on sharing our faith, Lord, as, as we have endeavored and committed to share our faith with one. Father, I pray that you would keep us faithful, keep us humble, keep us in a way that we will understand that it is only in our weakness, not our strength, that we see your power go forth. And we know a lot about weakness, Lord, for so many of us, this is it's such an awkward thing to share our faith. And yet, Lord, it is such a joy to know that someone is a child of God because you have used us to reach them. And I pray that we will see such amazing fruit, not just from, from what we're doing now, but Lord, just in the faithfulness that we are trying to have. I pray that you would allow us to see the fruits of our labor. And this morning, as we try to encourage from this text and and look at the power of reaching one, that we will see that you had the right way to do it all along, that your power is immeasurable, and that your way of doing it is, is so counterintuitive and yet so perfect as a scene from the fact that your first century church, your 11 disciples, accomplished the very thing that we're trying to accomplish. So Lord, I pray 
that this sermon will be helpful, encouraging. And Father, in my weakness, and you know I, am, I come weak this morning. Father, I pray in my weakness, your strength will go forward. May you move me out of the way and speak to the hearts of your people. It is in your name we pray, amen. Oliver, I'm a member of Faith Baptist Church, and uh, one way I go about the Hoosier one is uh, I pray about it. I pray about an opportunity to, uh, to speak to someone, an opportunity uh, for God to lay somebody on my, uh, lay somebody on my heart. Uh, the second thing I do is when you pray about it, guys, you also have to listen. You also have to be, you have to be keen to the Holy Spirit and, uh, because you might miss those opportunities. Um, they're, sometimes they're subtle. Sometimes God hits you with them. Um, but another thing I do is I, I start out a normal conversation with them. Um, how's your day going? And you can get into a spiritual conversation with somebody um, and at, the, at the drop of a hat, guys, it's... A lot of people think when you go to, to share the gospel that you have to have all the answers. One thing that we have to realize, guys, is let, let the Holy Spirit do the saving. We just got to plant the seed. Thank you. Amen. Just, we're going to be showing those videos. I like them because they're not professionally produced. They're really just people who have shared their faith and participated in the Hoosier One that are just sharing their experiences and you're gonna see they're normal people. Uh, there's a few on there that uh, are kind of state reps and that kind of thing uh, for the Baptist and we're not gonna show those, they're real polished. I, I, I just want you to see normal people who are sharing their faith mightily and they're doing such a great job. And so uh, we're gonna be showing those uh, pretty much every, every time we get together. Uh, throughout the duration of our of our Who's Your One uh, emphasis. So this morning, let's go ahead and turn in your Bibles with me to uh, the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you're not there already, in your own copy of the Word of God. And um, I was listening, as you're turning there, I was, I was listening to a Yale... New Testament scholar from Yale Divinity School, and he was barking all the usual uh, liberal and skeptical claims about biblical history and about biblical Christianity and all of this stuff, and and just different things that sometimes it's good to kind of keep an eye on and just see what the what the latest thing is that they're going to be beaming to the Discovery Channel and that kind of stuff. But uh, but one of the things he said, he told uh, this lecture hall, is that. Christianity in its formative years was never a missionary or even evangelistic religion. He claimed that it only became that way to assist with the expansion of the British Empire. That before that, Christianity was really nothing more than a localized European religion. And uh, it really had no interest in missionary zeal or evangelistic zeal at all. It was primarily just the, to Europe what Islam is to the Middle Eastern nations. Well, I'm not sure what New Testament he's reading, but, um, and I'm not sure where he's getting his church history from, but I can tell you, beloved, that that has never been true. That has never been true. In fact, if you can recall, every time we look at Jesus and every one of his appearances after his resurrection, he says some things to his disciples, and you're going to see kind of a trend here. For example, in John chapter 20, verse 21, and by the way, I did not get a 
PowerPoint this morning, so I apologize for that. You might want to write these verses down. But John 20 and 21, he says, Peace be with you, as the Father sent me, even I am sending you. So from the very beginning of the resurrection, Christ is sending his disciples. Or maybe you might turn to Luke 24, verses 46 and 47. And he said to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Just imagine you're one of the disciples and you hear this, all nations? Well, okay, Maybe, I mean, maybe he's just exaggerating. Maybe he's just saying, you know, uh, just, just all, every, everybody that we run into. Okay, that's fine. But then on another day, you hear this. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all I have commanded you, making disciples of all nations. I mean, I mean the entire world, Really? In fact, the word nations is the word we get ethnic from. It's ethnos. So we're not just talking about every nation being on every continent. We are talking about every ethnic group that is in the world to share the gospel with the entire world. Again, maybe he's just being hyperbolic here. Maybe he's just exaggerating for effect. But then one last time, right before he ascends, you hear this. Acts chapter one, verse eight. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Okay. Judea and Samaria. I don't know about the Samaria thing, but okay. And to the ends of the earth. Wait a minute. Jesus is serious. He's serious. And that's exactly what Jesus told them that you are to reach the ends of the earth. From the very beginning of the Christian church, it has always been a church, it has always been a faith with a global concern and a global vision. That's exactly what he said. There were others with them. In fact, uh, some people, and, and I happen to be one of them, think that Matthew 28 was probably where Jesus appeared to 500 at once. We don't know that for sure, but it seems to fit. And uh, we know that at Acts 1, there were at least 120 disciples that went back to the upper room and began praying to wait for the Holy Spirit. Yes, we know there were other people who were there and who were present, but I want you to understand that Jesus said this predominantly and primarily to 11 men, 11 men, men that there was absolutely nothing special about. I mean, have you, have you ever read the gospels and seen how boneheaded these guys are? I mean, there's just so many times that they just don't get it. And you just imagine the patience of Jesus, how how incredibly patient he must be with these men. And these are the men that he told them to reach the ends of the earth with the gospel of Christ. And what is amazing is that they did it, is that they did it. So much so that in Acts chapter 17, verse six, and Thessalonica, when they're attacking the synagogue leaders, 
who are coming to faith. And, and the enemy says that these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. These are the enemies of Christians who said this. Oh, that our enemies would say about us, these people are turning the world upside down. Actually, what they're doing is turning it right side up, but that's beyond the point. You understand the book of Acts is the story of the gospel coming to Rome. Luke is primarily interested in the, in the gospel's trek from Jerusalem to Rome and then from there to the uttermost parts of the earth. He's primarily interested in the ministries of Peter and of Paul. But we know from church tradition, we know that the other apostles were very involved in this as well. For example, Peter, after Acts chapter 10, we know that he ministered throughout the dispersion. He may have been in Babylon. He ended up in Rome in the end of his life. Thomas, according to tradition, went as far as India. There are Indian Christians today who claim and date their heritage back to the apostle Thomas when he arrived in India. Mark is said to have gone to Egypt and he founded the great Alexandrian church that was there and existed there for so many years. Andrew is said to have gone to present day Russia and he was there. Matthias, the apostle who replaced Judas, is said to have gone to Syria with, with uh, Andrew and, and we could go on and on and on. Jesus told them to reach the world and they accomplished exactly that. In fact, there is now evidence that shows that Christianity had even gone as far to China in the first and second centuries. We know uh, it went all the way up to Britannia, what would later become Britain. And we know the stories of St. Patrick and, and all of those things. How did they do that? I want you to understand, beloved, that, that reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ has been done before. The only place they didn't get to was the new world, the new continent, because they were having to wait on the technology to catch up. The technology could not outrun the gospel. And so they couldn't get across the ocean at that time. And so, but as soon as it enabled them to go, beloved, guess what? They went. And we have early recordings of, of northern Christians from the Vikings who went over into the American continents and they were spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. They literally went all over the world. They accomplished it. And what's amazing is that they did it in less than one generation. Less than one generation. That's amazing. Without all the modern technology that we have today, without all the conveniences, without podcasting and radio and television and flight, all of these things, they got the gospel to the world. 11 men, 11 men. So how did they do that? I think here in, Paul, I think here in 2 Timothy, Paul gives us an example of how that was done. And I think what we're gonna see here is that it's so counterintuitive because when we think we have to reach the world, we think of packing out stadiums. We think, of, we think in terms of addition. When in fact, what we see here, what we're gonna see here is the power of reaching one. The power of reaching one. Second Timothy is Paul's final Letter, I've got some more about that, but for lack of time, we 
We won't say just a whole lot more, except that Paul is really passing the baton on to Timothy at this point. He, he knows that his time of death is coming soon. He has been arrested a second time, and, and he knows that at this point that he is going to be executed for his faith, and he is concerned about the legacy of the gospel moving forward, and he is entrusting that to Timothy. And in fact, if you look at 2 Timothy 1, 14, just maybe even on the same page for most of us, but it says that by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit that is entrusted to you. You see, the first century church, they reached the entire known world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now Paul is telling Timothy in chapter two to do it again. Do it again. Every generation must reach the world afresh. Every generation must reach the world anew. We must do it again and again and again. The gospel has been entrusted to Timothy and by extension, all of us, not in a apostolic succession kind of way, not in a church authority kind of way, but in passing down the truth of the gospel, passing down the, the truth of God. And in 2 Timothy verses, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, Paul gives three commands to guard the deposit that's been entrusted to us and for today's purposes, we're primarily interested in the second command, and that's the one that we're gonna pay attention to. I, you, you might wanna write these down just for your own biblical study that Paul tells him in verse one to be strengthened by grace. He tells him in verse two to entrust to faithful men. And he tells him in verse three to share in suffering. And so, but like I said, for today's purposes, we are primarily interested in that second command, to entrust the gospel to others. In fact, the way that this is written, there's a sense of priority here that, that you could say that this is a solemn assignment. It is a, it is a serious commitment and it is an urgent priority. We've only got so much time. Timothy, you've only got so much time. And so what is the best use of your time for reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ? It is to entrust the gospel to others. Christ commanded us that we are to reach the world with the gospel. And Paul is telling us on his, essentially on his deathbed, in his swan song, Paul is telling us how to do it. We are to reach the world through the power of reaching one and entrusting the gospel to others. And so we're gonna look, first of all, just really two truths this morning that I wanna show you from this one verse. And that is number one, that we reach the world through the truth. We reach the world through the truth. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, he says, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, that, that phrase is emphatic in the original. 
Paul is thrusting that forward and saying that, listen, the most important thing that you need to understand of this command that I'm about to give you is not, is not necessarily how you are to entrust it, but it is that you, this is what you are to entrust. It is, it is the, the words that you have heard in me, the things that you have seen in me. In other words, it is the focus of the passage and it is important to know because beloved, in our zeal to reach the gospel, in our zeal to reach the world with the gospel, there is always a temptation to lessen the gospel. There is always a temptation to make it more user-friendly, to, to lessen its demands on our lives, to lessen its, it, it, what it says about sin, one of the most famous and uh, pastors, and I'm using that word very, very generously, who is the pastor of the largest church in America, and once again, I'm using the word church very generously, says that he will not preach against sin. He will not name sin. He will not use the word sin because his job is to make everybody happy. His job is to make everybody feel good. His job is to make sure that when they come to church, they have a positive experience. And that works great. And you can build a crowd like that. And that's gonna be a crowd that goes to hell because they do not understand their sin. Beloved, there's got to be bad news before there can be good news. And so Paul says that the things that you have heard from me, and we can ask the question here, what is it that Timothy would have heard? And I think we don't have to guess because we can go back again to chapter one, verse 13, where Paul uses almost this exact same phraseology. And he says, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Look what this includes. Number one, it includes the correct teaching. It includes the correct teaching. He says here, the pattern of sound words. Some of your translations may say the standard of sound teaching or the, or the standard of, of sound words or, or however it is that your particular translation brings that out. But this word pattern here, it, it has the idea of a standard or in other words, an outline, a clear body of teaching that was entrusted to Paul and passed on to Timothy. It was, a, it was an overview of the essentials of the faith and the deeper things of the faith, the essential things that, that were outlined and patterned so that it could be passed on to others. It shows that the first church had a specific outline or a standard of beliefs that they confessed. You know, a lot of people deny this today. They say that the doctrine of the church was not really developed until the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. Some will say that it was as late as the 1000s AD. But Paul is already telling him at the end of the first century that, that, that Timothy, you are to follow the pattern, you are to follow the outline of sound words that I passed on to you, that I gave you. It's the correct teaching. And this pattern of sound teaching that I've entrusted to you you are to entrust it in others. In fact, one of the way we guard the teaching is that one of the ways we guard the deposit is that we pass it on. 
we give it forward. This, this idea of guarding is not in a sense that we all kind of huddle up between these four walls and, and make sure we have all of our doctrine right and no love. Make sure we have all of our doctrine right and no outreach. Make sure we have all of our doctrine right and, and no community presence. It's not what he's saying. But what he's also saying is that we don't do outreach. We don't have community presence. We don't have love at the expense of sound teaching. That's also what he's saying. And so we've got to make sure that we have the correct teaching and not just the correct teaching, but the correct response. Look on in verse 13 in chapter one, he says, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Beloved, when Jesus gave the great commission, he saw that we are to make disciples. How? By baptizing them and teaching them, right? But when we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, you saw that in teaching them, we're not just giving head theology. We're not just giving things for them to know, but Jesus said that you are to teach, teaching them to observe all things that I commanded you. There's not just things to know, but there are also responses that are to be there. Faith responses, faithful responses to the commands of Jesus Christ, that we are to observe. Beloved, doctrine that cannot be lived is not doctrine at all. At best, it's speculation at best. Doctrine that cannot be applied is at best speculation. It is not doctrine at all. And in the same way, Paul says that the pattern of sound words, which Timothy heard from him, you, are to re you receive them in the faith and love that is in Christ Jesus. And now in the same way, you are to entrust both the correct teaching and the correct response into those who are going to follow you. Do you see that pattern? The correct teaching and the correct response. And, and this is actually kind of cool here. You see here the pattern of sound words that you heard from me. In the faith, you might say that that's more the idea of faithfulness. In other words, he didn't just learn the truth from Paul, but he lived in light of them. He's changed by them. He's different because of them. He is living them. And you see the love that he has here, love that is no longer directed itself but it is directed at Christ and toward others instead. Pattern of sound words, faithfulness, and love. Does that sound familiar? What do we say here? Our goal for everyone who attends Calvary Baptist Church is, is to help you develop faith, hope, and love. How do we say that? So that you will what? Three things. Know the faith, live the faith, share the faith. And here it is right here, different verbiage, but here it is. And so that's what we want to do. We want to entrust in you what Paul entrusted to Timothy, what Timothy entrusted to others, and what those entrusted to others who were able to teach also. That's what we want to do. We want to carry on that tradition, carry on that development. So we reach the world through the truth we're not just leading them to a one-time decision, but a lifetime of biblical change that begins at the moment of their acceptance of Christ, at the moment of justification. Justification is glorious and it happens in that one moment in time, but beloved, your salvation does not end there. That's not the end of the story, but it goes on in a lifetime of increasing holiness and faithfulness to Christ. 
So we're to reach the world through the truth and we are to reach the world through one. Reach the world through one. That seems to go against common sense, doesn't it? I mean, again, if we are to reach the world, isn't the best thing to do to pack out stadiums? Isn't the best thing to do to try to get to five and 1,000 and 5,000 and 18,000 at a time? Shouldn't we be packing out all of these things? Shouldn't we be looking to make the gospel as user-friendly as possible so that more people will come? In fact, when, beloved, when Constantine converted in the 300s on the battlefield, before he went into battle the next day, it said that his, he commanded his generals to grab pails of water and he poured them all over his soldiers and all over his army. And that was their baptism and they were Christians now. And now that they were a Christian army, they were gonna go and defeat the enemy. And as luck would have it, they did. That was their evangelism. Beloved, unfortunately, some modern ways of evangelism are not much better. Not much better. In our rush to grow to church, pragmatism is a very real temptation. It can be very tempting to look for quick methods that will bring in people, but will not grow them, will not ensure their salvation. And that's not what God commands. One of the reasons why we've always kind of, since I've been here, I've kind of avoided gimmicks and concerts and that kind of stuff. The reason why is because, beloved, what you do to get people here, you have to keep doing to keep them here. And so we don't want to do that. We don't want cowboy Sundays. We don't want, um, you know, whatever. I mean, just name a gimmick that's out there. And they can have some good, they can, there's some good things that can come from it, but let's just, let's just give them the word. Let's just give them Jesus. You know, if it takes Jesus to get them here, then guess what? It's going to be Jesus that keeps them here. And what I've discovered is that someone who loves Jesus, they will learn to appreciate and love things that exalt Jesus. Amen? And so let's use that instead. And so the power of reaching one, don't fall into pragmatism, but instead look for the long game. Look for the long goal. The importance of what Paul says here. I don't want you to miss this. Paul says, what you have heard from me and trust to faithful men who will be able to, to teach other generations, others also. I want you to notice here that in this one verse, you have four generations of believers. You have from Paul to Timothy. You have from Timothy to faithful men, and ladies, don't feel left out. You're included in that also. And from faithful men who will be other, who will be able to teach others also. You have four generations of faithfulness here. And in other words, what you're seeing here is not addition, but it is the power of multiplication. By the way, kids who are struggling in your math class right now, did you know God invented math? It's good to know. It really is. And, and I would just say to that, 
do as I say, not as I did. He's using the power of multiplication. This is how they did it. Paul focused on a few disciples who then focused on a few, who then focused on a few more. And in less than one generation, they reached the entire world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the power of reaching one. Jesus, think about Jesus for a moment. Yes, Jesus preached to the masses. Yes, he did. He healed many. Yes, he did. But who did he spend the vast majority of his time with? 12 men, one of which betrayed him and fell away. So 11 men primarily. And of those 11, primarily there were three that were in the inner circle. Jesus had three and a half years, or four, depending on your chronology, three and a half to four years, Jesus came to this earth and he began his ministry. And in three and a half years, he, he was determined to reach the world with his saving message. But instead of focusing on the masses, he focused on 11 people, 11 men and some others that were outside of that circle. And by the way, ladies, we know ladies were involved too. Women like Mary of Magdalene and Peter's mother. We know uh, his own mother eventually. We know some of all of these things. That's how he did it. This month, when you reach one person, think about this, just imagine this for a moment. What if this month you reach one person, they accept the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then they begin to be discipled for one year, one year. And then next year, the two of you will go out and you will reach another two. How many do you have? Four. And then the next year, all of you do that, and how many do you have? Eight. And then the next year, 16. And then the next year, 32. And then the next year, 64. And then the next year, 128. And then it goes on, 256, 512, 1,024, 2,048. What comes next, Melinda? Uh, 2,048, 4,096. 8,192, 16,384, that is 14 years from now. Do you realize in Independence County, there are 15,000 people in this county who do not affiliate with any church whatsoever. In 14 years, we can reach them all. Every one of them. But it goes on. It goes on. Next year, 32,768. Next year, 65,536. The next year, 131,072. The next year, 262,144. Next year, 524,288. In 20 years, we've surpassed 1 million people. You've seen this math before, right? In less than 40 years, beloved, in less than one generation, we will have surpassed the population of the earth. One generation. How did they do it? They did it like this. How can we do it? We do it like this. You say, Randy, not everyone on the earth is gonna accept Christ. Well, first of all, I don't know that. Do you know that? I don't know that. 
And so I'm just gonna operate under the assumption that they will. Amen? I don't know that not all of them will accept Christ. That's, that's, that's according to the mystery of God. I'm not, I'm not keen on that information. I don't know. So I'm just gonna act like they will. Amen? And number two, so if they don't, why not try it and see? Why not try it? What if from now until the time you go home and see the Lord, you have reached one person every year that you've personally accepted, that you've personally shared the gospel with every year from the time from now until the time you go home to be with the Lord and then you walk into heaven with the names of those that you have shared the gospel with that are gonna be there because of you. Beloved, is that a bad thing? No, that's not a bad thing. Here's another thing I'll see. I want you to see this. In Matthew 24 and I, I mean, just a second because... I knew I wanted to say this, but I forgot to write the verse down. Matthew 24, verse 14, Jesus says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end of come. Do you realize that Jesus has already determined our victory? Do you realize that Jesus has already said, this is gonna work? Do you realize Jesus has already said that the gospel is gonna go to all the world? This is as sure as the word of Christ himself. So go out and do it. So go out and do it. There's nothing to be afraid of. There is no failure here. What if like Paul in Acts chapter 20 Verses 26 and 27, we could say, like him, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole gospel of one. What if, like Paul, we could say that? You say, Randy, what about our theology? Charles Spurgeon, greatest preacher who's ever lived, and an ardent five-point Calvinist, you know, one of the things that I think was a secret of his powerful preaching, because he used to pray almost every Sunday, Lord, save the elect and then elect some more. This is not a theological thing, beloved. This is not a, this, this is the command of our Lord. And it doesn't matter what label you put on yourself. This is what the Lord has called us to do. And the most effective evangelist in the world throughout history, are the ones who have figured this out. And so, Randy, we're just a small church. We're just, a, you know, I've heard people say before, we're just an elderly church. There's just not much we can do. Randy, I'm retired, I'm old, I'm tired. I can't reach the world. I can't change the world. Beloved, no, you can't. But you know what you can do? You can reach one. You can reach one. And then you can reach another. And then you can reach another. And you can reach another. 
What can Calvary Baptist Church, what can Calvary Baptist Church do in 40 years? Beloved, we can reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ in 40 years. They did it. Why can't we? Give me one reason. Why can't we? Why can't we do it? The only thing stopping us is us. Why can't we do it? Listen, guys, I want you to see two things. And if you don't remember anything else, just remember this and we're done. Number one, the global impact for the gospel is not out of reach, especially today. Where in the world can you not jump on a plane and be to within 48 hours? The apostles would have killed for that kind of, uh, that kind of access. Where is there that we cannot go today within 24 hours, that we cannot hop on a plane and be there? The global vision of God is not out of reach for Calvary Baptist Church. We can do this, not because we can, but because our God can. And he's already done it more than once. Why can't he use us? Why can't he use us? Number two, and if you hear nothing else, beloved, hear this. The gospel entrusted to 11 disciples is more powerful than a church filled with 11,000 religious consumers. Jesus can do far more with 12 disciples than he can do with 12 million religious consumers. So which one are we gonna be a church of? Are we gonna be a church of disciples? Or are we gonna be a church of religious consumers? You wanna see the real power of God? Be a disciple and reach one and watch what God can do through a little church in a little town, in a little state, in a little corner of the globe in Batesville, Arkansas. Watch what God can do if we will get a vision for this. Amen? Let's stand together and let's bow our heads. And I'm just gonna ask you this morning, do you have a global vision for Calvary? Are you willing to reach your one? Are you willing to commit? I know many of you already have, but I know we've been doing this now for three or four weeks and the, and the excitement has kind of waned and the, and the, the newness of it is, has, kind of, uh, has kind of gone away and, and the reality of resistance and those kind of things are kind of kicking in. But beloved, are you still committed to reaching your one with the gospel of Christ? Are you still praying diligently for them? Are you still praying for those who haven't got one? Are you still praying for opportunities to have one that God will send one to you. Are you still praying diligently for that? Or has that gone the way of so many other things that it just kind of gets put on the back burner, conquered by the routines of our day? Which one are we going to be? Are you reaching your one? And maybe you're here this morning and you are one of the ones that needs to be reached. Beloved, this morning, the gospel, I want you to understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for you. 
that Christ came and he died on the cross for your sins. He earned the righteousness of his life in a way that you and I never could. And then undeserving, he died and faced the wrath of God for all of our sins, dying on the cross. And to show that that was enough, God raised him from the dead three days later. And he's now ascended into heaven at the right hand of God, offering himself as a savior to you from his own wrath. You have sinned against a holy God. You are guilty of a holy guilt. And yet, Christ is offering his own righteousness to you in exchange for your sin. And all you have to do is trust in Christ alone for your salvation. Trust in him alone. Tonight, we're going to this Five Solas Conference. You know what the gospel is? It is that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, on the authority of scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. Beloved, that's the gospel in a nutshell. And if that is not what you're trusting in, then I really wanna talk to you this morning. There's other men here who wanna talk to you, other ladies here who wanna talk to you because we wanna know that you've got this. And we are up here for you. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for these amazing promises you've given. We thank you that so many years ago, you told us that the gospel is gonna go to all the world. It's going to be preached. And Lord, you've done it once and we're asking you to do it again. We look at the world falling apart. We look at all the strain and all the trouble and everything. And we know that the answer is the gospel. And so, Father, right here in Batesville, Arkansas, we can begin a movement. We can begin a new revival, a new reformation that will go throughout the entire world. And I pray you'll give us a vision for that. I pray that we will all reach one this year. I pray that we will all begin to entrust in others what has been entrusted to us. Lord, help us not to belittle or roboticize or mechanize or pragmatize the gospel. May we never sacrifice the gospel for what works. But Father, may we instead see that your gospel works and that the gates of hell will never be able to prevail against us who are seeking your will. I'm gonna ask the musicians to play just for a moment. I'm gonna give you time just to pray for your one that you've committed to. Pray for opportunities. Pray for strength and for boldness. Pray for a vision. See it. Ask for intentionality this week that I will be intentional about sharing my faith and I'm not just looking for someone to repeat a prayer. I'm not seeking decisions. I'm seeking disciples. Is that you this morning? We can do this because our God is with us. Who can be against us?